Auto Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. The emerging science of magnetobiology. 5G, low oxygen intake, and a certain virus. Is there a connection? Now, I know the very idea that there might be a connection between 5G and COVID has been widely ridiculed by the media, but I'd like to know more. Just because the media piles on and says, this is ridiculous, that's not good enough for me. Maybe the whole idea is preposterous, maybe, but just maybe there's more to the story. Let's find out. At least for right now, we're still allowed to ask questions, right? And to push back tomorrow? Who knows? And that's not hyperbole, friends. So we're going to talk about it for the next two hours. You know, whenever the media says, this is ridiculous, it's preposterous, it's a conspiracy theory, don't talk about it, it just makes me want to double down and talk about it all the more, or at least find out about it. I don't know about you, but I like to... I like to gather the facts, the data, and decide these things for myself. So that's what we're going to try and do. Joseph A. Olson is a founding member of Principia Scientific International, which provides educational resources freely in the fields of scientific inquiry. He's a retired engineer, an impassioned science writer, and respective innovative thinker with over 100 major civil engineering and climate-related articles to his name. Joseph is also co-author of Slaying the Dragon, Death of the Greenhouse Gas Theory, the world's first full-volume debunk of the greenhouse gas theory. Joseph Olson, welcome aboard. How are you? Oh, bonsoir, monsieur. I love insomnia <laughs> radio. Where else can you talk to a million people in their pajamas? It's true. It's true. I'm in mine. <laughs> uh, well, tonight's going to be a real test if I'm able to do a proper amount of self-medication with Twinkies and Red Bull to overcome my amnesia, Alzheimer's, <laughs> dementia, dyslexia, and senility. So we'll find out. All right. Let's fly it up the flagpole, see what happens. First of all, we've reached you in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Uh, tell me about uh, your, your attending a conference. You were speaking there this afternoon, the uh, Austin Truth Seekers. Tell me about that. Well, it's been a really interesting week. Um, uh, there's a guy that has a program on uh, – Blaze Radio with Glenn Black, uh, named Chad Prather, and he's been yakking about going on. Hello. Yes, I'm okay. here. I'm hearing you. Yeah, yeah. He's he's been um, been threatening to run for governor, and so he did a, a concert last weekend in in uh, area north of Houston. So I attended that concert, and then I attended a uh, Yellow Rose of Texas um, women's GOP uh, fundraiser. They were celebrating the 100th anniversary of um, um, suffrage for women. The 20th mm-hmm. Amendment was passed on August 18th in uh, 1920, so they were doing that. And there was a lot of uh, dissatisfaction with our Republican governor and with our Republican president from GOP grassroots. 
And then I went to a um, organization rally for a guy that's running for the House, Texas House, and there was an equal amount of dissatisfaction. And then by coincidence, I went to a club uh, in a small town north of Austin that had been on the news for allowing veterans of Korea and World War II to sing the national anthem after receiving honors from their county. And that was pretty offensive. So they said, well, come up on Friday night. We're having a, um, the the county MAGA group is having a rally. And so I went, and um, lo and behold, one of the speakers was a former U.S. Congressman Colonel Allen West, who had also spoke at the Texas, uh, Open Texas rally with uh, Shelley Luther. He got thrown in jail for cutting hair two days early. Um, right. And then he also spoke at an Oath Keepers rally. So I've been going to a lot of rallies. I'm writing uh, a lot of my stuff is Texas-based just because, like I mentioned in one of my articles, Texas has a population of over 29 million, a gross uh, national, uh, domestic product of $1.8 trillion. Measured alone, it's the 10th largest economy in the world. The problem is 194 nations signed off on this pandemic, and they are all in lockstep, exactly like they said in the event 201. And the event 201 is just <laughs> scratching the surface. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Aaron and Melissa Dykes. Truth no, Stream I'm not. Media. No, I'm not. Oh, Truthstream Media? They, uh, they used to work for Alex Jones, and then they broke off on their own, and it's a husband and wife team, and they do documentary videos, and they're great. Uh, they did one called Minds of Men, which was uh, one best documentary at a bunch of different film festivals. It's an hour and a half, two hours long. They did a, a program back in, I think it was uh, 2015, called um, NASA's Future Strategic Issues Conference, and their, their title was uh, NASA's Future War 2025 is here already. This was a conference that NASA had in 2001 where they said that in order to make a continuity of government work, they were going to have to use trauma-based mind control on a population. And lo and behold, that's, this is July of 2001. And then this is NASA, a NASA conference where this was said? Yes, yes, I'll, I'll send you the article, you'll flip. Okay. Uh, then they had uh, Rockefeller-funded bio-warfare bio games, uh, which you've probably heard of, Operation Dark Winter in June of yes. 2001, Scenarios for Future Technology in 2010, uh, X Pandemic Simulation in 2018, and then the Event 201 that everybody's heard about in Right. This was the tabletop scenario they did uh, with Johns right. Hopkins and some UN agency, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where they were supposedly right. anticipating right. a pandemic and how they would respond. And then, lo and behold, uh, oh, there and, it is, and, like and a month later. they gotten bold enough to call it the coronavirus in October. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Let me ask you. Uh, let, let's uh, let's delve into. First of all, I want to ask you about Principia Scientific uh, International. Okay. Tell yes. me about this uh, organization. Um, we authored the book "Slaying the Sky Dragon," and uh, we were banned by some of the popular <laughs> uh, skeptic websites. And I attended the Heartland Convention out in Las Vegas in 2014 and the uh, Heritage Summit, uh, Crossroads Summit Convention in Houston in September of 2017. And 
at, in Las Vegas, they had 600 claimed skeptics, and there weren't a dozen people in the room that had had thermodynamics. So I'm sitting there in a room full of people that are just so smug with themselves because their carbon dioxide only warms a little, and I'm going, no, actually, carbon dioxide is a coolant. And that was what was covered in our book. It turns out it takes more training in thermodynamics to get an undergraduate in engineering than a Ph.D. in meteorology or climatology. So I'm sitting there talking to people who just have no clue what the actual, you know, physics of, of heat transfer is, you know, by, by radiation convection and, and induction. And, and it makes it impossible to describe why they are wrong and and if they would accept the real science, this thing could have been over 10 years ago. I've been writing about climate stuff for over 10 years. So I was contacted in 2010 uh, when I was author of articles on a weekly basis at Canada Free Press by several other authors at Canada Free Press, and we got together and wrote this book, and it, we had uh, six authors. Uh, we were from five different countries. None of us had ever met until the book was in draft form, and two guys that lived in England, one of them was from um, Belgium, but he had moved to England, and he lived on the east side of England, and the other guy lived in Wales, and so they got together over a weekend and did the final edit on the book. So that's how we got started. Uh, one of the authors uh, teaches uh, numerical methods at University of Stockholm, has a Ph.D. in mathematics, and numerical methods is required um, course after three semesters of calculus in order to, uh, it's a prerequisite for thermodynamics. So we were all on board about how physics actually worked and how it wasn't being discussed in, in the open market. And basically what they do is they kind of do like a Democrat and Republican uh, puppet show where it's like they have, I call them the lukewarmest and the, and, the, uh, and the warmest because I didn't want to insult anybody like they call us deniers. But, you know, I needed to have a name since, since neither one of them were talking about it. And um, our book was published, and we noticed that we were uh, that there was a lot of research that couldn't get published because they controlled, and that's what the climate gate exposed was that they you couldn't discuss climate issues because they had a, a gridlock on all of the publishing houses, and they right. just flat out said, you know, we'll make sure they don't get published, and if they do, we'll make sure they lose tenure, and you know, and so basically it was racketeering on, on a scientific level. And I have been lectured in person by Richard Lindzen, uh Fred Singer, uh, Judith Curry, uh, Roy yes. Spencer, uh, Tony Watts, uh, you know, basically everybody that's uh, Mockton and... Uh, um, Delling Pole, everybody that's touted as being an expert in climate, I've been lectured to them by in person. And when you try to talk to them about, well, have you considered this? And it's like, no, no, no. And they're just, okay, so whatever. So we decided to form our own organization where we could um, get research papers and have them peer-reviewed by people that were honest peers. And then we would kind of do a, a daily or whatever uh, news summary. And so that's what we started off doing, and we've been highly successful at it. I think last time I talked with John, we had like over 6,000 members worldwide for an organization that's only eight years old. 
Right. So now, I, I wanted to ask you about your organization's mission. It says on the website to defend the scientific method. So the the obvious question that jumps out is, why does the scientific method need defending? What's happening in science right now that the scientific method needs to be defended? Well, it it's been bought and paid for by people that have a vested interest. And this this COVID thing is going to be such a glaring example to everybody once the the uh, image is finally, the mosaic pieces are finally put up and people are able to realize it. But science is uh, quantitative, uh, predictive, and repeatable. And anything that doesn't meet those three requirements is superstition. And these people start off with an agenda, and in order to make their agenda work, they have to modify the scientific method. We use the actual scientific method. Uh, the first two research per papers that we published were from a guy, uh, Nassif Nahal, who's a Ph.D. Uh, professor at University of Monterey, and he actually went out and measured the incoming uh, down uh, radiation long wave to the Earth, which is theoretically what is causing warming from carbon dioxide. Well... He measured it and found that it was just trace little amounts. It was exactly predicted by NASA following the uh, uh, magnetic flux lines down to Earth at night, and the rest of the time there was no downwelling radiation. Then he also repeated the uh, Dr. Robert Wood's uh, greenhouse experiment from Stanford in 1909, and he got the same exact thing that Stanford said. Not only does the... Does the atmosphere not reflect infrared radiation back to the earth but even glass in a greenhouse doesn't and so he he redid that experiment and we had both of those experiments published on our website okay okay right so let's so, let's get into magnetobiology and it's yes, it's just uh, I want to also point out that I've posted, uh, there's a link at strangeplanet.ca underneath, underneath tonight's show info where people can click uh, and that'll take them to principia-scientific.com, principia-scientific.com. It's dot .org? My apologies. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, the uh, the link is there, and uh, the article, Magnetobiology to Connect 5G, Low Oxygen Intake, and CV19, question mark. And people can read that for themselves. But let me ask you about magnetobiology. It's in the article described as an emerging science. So uh, I understand it's considered a branch of biophysics. But when something is considered an emerging science, what does that mean? Is it, in other words, taken seriously by some scientists and perhaps dismissed by pseudoscience by others? What is the status of magnetobiology as a science? Well, <laughs> that's very interesting, because the book was written by Vladimir Binhai, and uh, he goes into uh, how common EMF, electromagnetic frequency radiation, affects bio, uh, biological systems, and that comes from like your power lines, your appliances, your cell phones. And then he also goes into the fact that the sun provides 200 uh, volts per meter per square meter, and power lines provide up to 10,000 volts per square meter of that amount of radiation. 
So if you're near a high voltage power line, you're definitely getting. And you're also getting a, a certain amount through your um, dirty alternating current in your home. And that's irrefutable. Now, the, the article actually refers to the title of his book, uh, Magno Biology, Underlying Physics and Problems. That book was published in 2002. There was only a single edition. Uh, it was published by Academic Press. And if you go to Amazon right now, they have nine copies in stock, and they want $280 for a paperback. And they want two hundred dollars for an ebook. So obviously, a book that's eighteen years old, you could sell the ebook for less than two hundred dollars if you wanted this information out. This is part of the event two hundred one lockstep and flood the zone. They're going to lockstep to make sure you don't get any information that's contradictory to their narrative, and then they're going to flood the zone with everything that is supportive their narrative. Uh, there's another link in that article at uh, principle called RF radiation cell phone in uh, uh, cancer with 4G, and that's by the International Agency for uh, Research on Cancer. And that article is still up, so you can read it. And an, another article by Dana Ashley on 60 gigahertz impact to ozone, uh, oxygen levels. And that's also uh, affected in the 150 gigahertz range. Now, people listening to the show, you don't have to let your eyes roll because you can't keep up with all the numbers or the science. This is a podcast. You can re-listen to it over and over. Uh, there's plenty of stuff that's referenced. I have six articles on this pandemic at Principal Scientific, and you can read those at your leisure. Uh, if you're one of those people who's unemployed right now, consider this your time to... Uh, improve your knowledge on everything. And just as right. a coincidence, my last article I wrote was, um, is this the one? Yeah, right to try voodoo, I think it's the one. Anyhow, during the plague of 1666, uh, um, London lost like 30% of their people, and they'd been having a plague about every 20 years. So they had the quarantine issue down. And one of the uh, people that was affected by that was Isaac Newton. He was a student at Cambridge, and they sent him home, and he was locked in his mother's attic for 18 months, and that's when he wrote Principa Mathematica. And that is still the tour de force of physics. He ground his own lenses. He invented the reflecting telescope. He did his own experiments on light and motion and energy uh, and wrote his book in Latin. And he was so intimidated by his, his advancement of science that he had two copies made, and he put one of them at the Royal Society so that other members could review it and give him some critique before he went public with it. And one of the people that reviewed it is the guy from Germany that came over, never did a, a physics experiment in his life, but claimed that he invented calculus because he used all of Newton's raw data and Newton-derived uh, equations to come up with his version of calculus. So that's one of the problems that, that I have with scientific history. All right. Uh, we're coming up on a break here, Joseph. I just wanted to mention you referenced 
uh, Dana Ashley. And uh, as you say, there is a link there in the uh, the article that uh, we've posted at uh, strangeplanet.ca. Let me just, as we go into the break, kind of tease what we're going to discuss when we come back, because Dana Ashley points this out, quote, the impacts of 60 gigahertz are not widely published, but here's what I can tell you. And it's a part, ironically, from promotional material of the big telecom companies themselves. So again, this is coming from the promotional material from the big telecom companies themselves regarding 60 gigahertz. It reads, 60 gigahertz has a very distinct impact on none other than oxygen itself. That's what we're going to pick up on when we return. Joseph Olson, my guest from Principia Scientific International, and uh, we are discussing magnetobiology, 5G, low oxygen intake, and COVID-19. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Joseph A. Olson is with us. He's a founding member of Principia Scientific International, which provides educational resources freely in the fields of scientific inquiry. He's a retired engineer, science writer, respected innovative thinker, and uh, the co-author of Slaying the Sky Dragon, Death of the Greenhouse Gas Theory. But we are talking about this emerging science, magnetobiology, what it can tell us about the dangers, perhaps, of 5G, the connection between 5G and low oxygen intake, and how that might whether there's a nexus there with COVID-19. Now, again, this has been widely ridiculed by the mainstream media. But, uh, you know, one has to ask, how rigorously have they looked into this? It's very easy to say, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. But has anyone actually sat down and taken the time to examine this? Well, apparently, yes, they have. And we should point out, Joseph, that the article that we're referencing was written by John O'Sullivan. What's his background? Can you tell us? He's a former school teacher, and he just started, you know, writing articles about science from an English perspective. And he's actually the one that proposed writing a book, and he's the one that selected the uh, six authors. So that put him in the principal position, and then he uh, edited the book. And what he's doing here primarily is just gathering research by other experts and compiling it together and providing links. And again, it's in this article at principia-scientific.org regarding magnetobiology. It's important also to point out that electromagnetism has been described as the foundation of life. What can you tell us about that, how electromagnetism is so important to life? Well, First of all, if we didn't have a magnetosphere, we would be bombarded with enough gamma rays that, that the Earth would be completely sterile. So that's one fact of life that makes Earth unique. All this uh, stuff from NASA about the magic Cinderella distance from the sun and the magic sun size, and that's the elements of life is ridiculous. If we didn't have um, one point two million cubic miles of thorium and 800,000 cubic miles of uranium decaying underneath our feet and providing us with raw elemental atoms and compounds 
in providing us with the dynamo for the Earth's magnetic field, then we wouldn't have life on this planet. The geothermal energy is what sets the baseline temperature for the Earth, and we've covered that extensively uh, in our work. I've written over 100 articles on global warming physics involved, and you know it's way more than we can go into now. But I sent you a copy of, and this is easy to pull up on Google, Atmosphere Absorption Spectrum. And it has the Planck's curve for incoming solar radiation, and then it shows the absorption. The atmosphere absorbs 30% of the incoming energy. But then it also, underneath on that particular graph, lists the various uh, elements that are in the atmosphere, which would be the absorbing elements, carbon dioxide, water vapor, Water vapor absorbs in 37,000 wavelengths, but absorption is only a momentary thing. It lasts for a couple of billionths of a second. It excites the atom. The atom absorbs incoming radiation, and then it emits a longer wavelength, lower energy photon, and those kind of cascade through the atmosphere. And so the water vapor that's in the atmosphere is removing incoming solar energy by reducing it to a longer wavelength, lower energy. And that's the reason why they're trying to do the 5G, because it's a higher energy, so you can carry more data on, on the waves, and, and you can use larger files. But the point is, if you can do live stream Netflix on 4G, why do you need to have 5Gs and compress a movie into five minutes that you can't in less than an hour and a half. So there's no need for that as a broadcast medium, and 5G is perfectly fine working on DSL. You have no radiation issues. So if we wanted to have a good functional country, we'd be installing DSL lines instead of cell towers, and we dancer wouldn't be putting 42,000 Starlink uh 5G satellites in orbit that are going to cloud our planet with space junk for the next two or three hundred years. It's completely absurd. One of the okay. articles I wrote is about um, green prints of darkness on photocells, and they on the space station they have a service life seven years because it's nothing but uh, crude electrical uh, erosion. All they're doing is stripping electrons off of a donor atom, usually it's boron, which has a fifth outer shell uh, electron, and they strip off that electron. It goes out and does DC work, but it doesn't ever come back and get, get back on the boron. It's, well, let's do that again tomorrow. It's, a, it's nothing but a chemical, uh, I mean, a uh, molecular erosion process. Here's something I wanted to pull from John O'Sullivan's article because this is fascinating. He said, we may not realize it, but the tiny mitochondria in our cells generates a field that's stronger than lightning at about 30 million volts per meter. That's fascinating. The mitochondria in our cells generate a field that's stronger than lightning at about 30 million volts per meter. And then he writes, anytime you have the movement of charged particles in a living organism, you create an, an, an electromagnetic field. Every cell, every molecule in our body resonates at certain frequencies. And there is scientific evidence that cell phones can cause brain tumors. And all these statements uh, have citations and so forth. So if prolonged 4G cell phone use may be proven to be harmful, 
We don't know definitively, I suppose. But if it is, again, as you say, why would we even be thinking of 5G use? Because all the data is controlled by four entities. One of them is the military, and John mentions that in his article, the active denial systems where they use 95 gigahertz. And two seconds of that radiation will raise your body temperature 130 degrees. You'll just, if you're not running away as fast as you can, you'll fall over dead. Uh, then you have the telecom industry. They're more interested in being able to um, install antennas because they're getting paid by the government to do that. You have the electrical power industry, which could tell us a lot of things about cancer and, and other health uh, risks from their EMF discharges. And then we have the government, which you know allows us to use microwave ovens, which are charging up the water molecules in the 2.45 gigahertz range, and that's what warms your food. You're exciting the water molecules inside your food. Now, when John first approached me about being on your show two weeks ago, I said, man, I need to brush up on this. Let me find some more information. On July 24th, an article was posted at pubmed.nih.gov, and it says 5G technology and induction of coronavirus in skin cells. That article was only up for about six or eight hours. I didn't do a screensaver because I didn't think it was going to be taken down, but I did take some pretty good notes, and then I was able to find uh, somebody that did do a screensaver and verify my notes. But in that article, what the guy said is that at, at, at that certain wavelength, you're able to break open skin cells and release coronavirus that's already in the skin cells. And that might not sound very believable until you do a little more research on uh, viruses and, and uh, cell structure. One of the people that I was very interested in was early on with research in this, and I've only been doing this research for about six months, but I have been doing uh, chemistry and biology research at a collegiate level for over 40 years. But Judy Mekovic, who was formerly with CDC, was interviewed by George Norrie on April yes. 14th. Normally, 30 days after he does an interview with a guest, he puts it up on their YouTube channel. Because she was speaking against WHO and CDC, and in particular, <laughs> Mr. Fauci, she never had that her, her program put up, and everything that she's done on YouTube has been scrubbed. She's done dozens of interviews. I've watched them all. She gave me an advanced copy of her book, Plague Corruption, and I read her book, and it was, like, outstanding. She mentioned that every immune deficiency which would be lupus and autism and all of these diseases that are caused by xenotropic murine-related viruses. And this is the viruses that are in the tissue cultures that they're using to grow the vaccines in. Now, according to Dr. Andrew Kaufman and Dr. Zachary Bush, both of which they're MDs with postgraduate degrees in microbiology, They've been stating that humans have 75% junk DNA. Joseph Olson stays with us as we continue to delve into magnetobiology and 5G right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. The uh, International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC, categorized radio frequency radiation emitted by cell phones as a Group 2B human carcinogen. Group 2B means possible. Okay, it's possible. So uh, 5G, you know, what are the what are the effects if prolonged 4G cell phone use is proven to be harmful? Why do we think 5G use would be less so? And yet that is what's coming our way, 5G. And we are discussing, I guess, the possible nexus between 5G and other diseases, including certain viruses, including COVID-19. Yes, it's dismissed as conspiracy theory. However, we need to delve into this further. And it may turn out to be not true, but we need to be open-minded. We're talking about the health of billions of people on this planet. Joseph Olson stays with us. I wanted to come back to this because I mentioned Dana Ashley talking about in the literature, the promotional literature of these big telecom companies themselves. They talk about 60 gigahertz has a distinct impact on oxygen itself. And you mentioned, Joseph, that electromagnetic radiation absorbs oxygen. Or is it the other way around? Oxygen absorbs this uh, this EMF. Almost everything absorbs in a discrete range, a spectrum range. And that's how you can look in the universe and tell what chemical composition of faraway planets is because of the spectral line. Anything it absorbs also emits, and emits really very quickly. But what happens with oxygen is when it absorbs the 60 gigs, it spins and it can't uptake to the iron molecule that's in your hemoglobin. So as your buddies body is sending red blood cells around to pick up the used CO2 and take them to your lungs and drop the CO2 off and pick up some oxygen, it can't make that exchange, and therefore you end up very quickly getting hypoxia, which is a buildup of CO2 in your tissue. If it's a respiratory restriction, like a face mask, then you get hypercapnia, which is an increase in CO2 intake and that will cause you to have hypoxia and both those are very dangerous conditions now the fcc says that the body absorbs in the 30 to 300 megahertz range but they say that there's no surface warming with less than 580 microwatts per centimeter squared well what they're not telling you is what's the subsurface warming because this stuff goes right through the surface well, it turns out when you come to this article that we just discussed, the 5G technology in induction of uh, coronavirus in skin cells, which was published on 724 and withdrawn within 24 hours because people started reading it. Basically, what Dr. Bush and Kaufman have said is the junk DNA that's in our body is incorporated viral and bacterial tissue that have been passed down from previous generations and these are are part of your immune system so when you break apart your cells you can actually release portions of the cell have the coronavirus from previous generations ah that's that's fascinating i want to just come back to this is this is important the effect that 60 megahertz 
has on the oxygen molecules and the electrons, how it causes them to spin, I guess, much in the same way a microwave oven affects water molecules, which is used to heat your food. The 60 megahertz cause the electrons in your oxygen molecules that you're breathing in to spin in such a way that it's difficult for the hemoglobin, that's the iron protein in your blood, it makes it difficult for the hemoglobin to pick up the oxygen molecule. Is that it? Correct. You're suffocating even though you have oxygen in your lungs. Even though you have a respirator blowing oxygen in your lungs, you're still suffocating because you can't make that exchange. So that's right. One and, of the- and you need about 97% oxygen level in your blood. And once it starts to go down from that into the low 90s, then you start suffering from hypoxia. And if it goes even further into the low 80s, what could happen? Well, you end up being dead pretty quick. And that's what's happening with patients that are being put on ventilators. And it's what's happening to people that are exposed to high levels of 5G. The people that are showing up in hospitals with difficulty breathing, is that... 5G-induced hypoxia, or is that the virus, or is the 5G exacerbating the virus? Just kind of speak to that very quickly, and then we'll come back to it after the break. Well, most of the people that are having the issues are people that have cofactors. So most of the people that are having issues with this particular virus are people that have other underlying conditions. And so this is an opportunistic disease like almost all of them are, and it's just based on your immune system not being able to handle this additional front. And generally, it's not the bacteria that, I mean, it's not the virus that kills you, it's the bacteria that the viruses ride around on. Viruses, like I said, they don't eat, they don't do anything, they they don't mate, they go in and infect the host cell and use the host cells replicating, uh, mechanism to reproduce more viruses. So basically, they hijack your Fortran and they said, we're going to print more viruses. And next thing you know, your cell was full of a thousand viruses and cell wall burst and all those viruses go, hey, that was fun. Let's go find another cell just like that and have a party. And so that's what your body is trying to fight against. What they're claiming in the way of medicine is that by having antibodies to those particular viruses, you can be immune to them, but that's not uh, proving to be true. And so that's where the problem is. We're going to have, this is going to be a watershed for medical science the same way that carbon dioxide was a uh, warming is a uh, watershed for other earth sciences. Okay, i got to jump in here. We'll uh, take another quick time out, Joseph. Okay, uh, hold tight. We'll be back in a moment. The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Let me just uh, crib here again from the, uh, the article by John O'Sullivan on magnetobiology, and that is published by principia-scientific.org. Principia Scientific International and the co-founder Joseph Olson is with us. O'Sullivan cites an article by Susan Brin, the director of the Center for Electrosmog Prevention in La Mesa, California. Novel 5G technology is being rolled out in several densely populated cities, although potential chronic health or environmental impacts have not been evaluated and are not being followed. 
higher frequency or shorter wavelength radiation associated with 5G does not penetrate the body as deeply as frequencies from older technologies, although its effects may be systemic. The range and magnitude of potential impacts of 5G technologies are under-researched, although important biological outcomes have been reported with millimeter wavelength exposure. These include oxidative stress and altered gene expression, effects on skin and systemic effects such as immune function. In vivo studies, that means in living organisms, in vivo studies reporting resonance with human sweat ducts, acceleration of bacterial and viral replication, which Joseph alluded to earlier, and other endpoints indicate the potential for novel as well as more commonly recognized biological impacts from this range of frequencies and highlight the need for research before population-wide continuous exposure. So, again, they're saying that this is a possibility and we best be open-minded about this rather than just say this is tinfoil hat nonsense. So, Joseph, you were talking about, you were, you were, you were mentioning the acceleration of bacterial and viral replication. You say that this is remnants of some of these viruses are contained in what some people refer to as junk DNA, correct? Well, that's what Kaufman and Bush both say. And they're part of a large body of work. I mean, there's other uh, tremendous number of uh, microbiologists that are coming forward now and going, you know, we've got a failed model with the uh, Pasteur 1895 germ theory that it doesn't really work. And then we've got a, a super failed model with the vaccine programs. The thing about vaccines, they didn't identify the first virus because the viruses are about 20 nanometers and you can't magnify visual light down to the point where you can see something that's smaller than the wavelength of the light. So in other words, the photons are coming in on a sinusoidal curve, and if the target is smaller than the wavelength of the light, the light just passes by it. So you need to have an electron microscope where instead of using light, you put a stream of electrons in there, and then you can actually see something that's down to the size, theoretically, of an electron. So that's when they first identified the first viruses in 1931. The guy won a Nobel Prize for it in 1946. But up until that time, everything that they concocted in the way of a vaccine had unknown quantities and had unknown impurities. And it turns out the impurities were 40, 50 other viral uh, uh, issues that were in the SV40 monkey kidneys that they made polio vaccines with that gave everybody cancer. So basically, we've been inoculating people with cancer-causing and, and other disease-causing agents, and our body's just luckily been able to absorb it because we have an immune system that's been perfected in human beings for over a million years and in plants and animals for, you know, five or six billion years. Um, one of the things, plants are subject to uh, attacks by uh, a number of threat vectors, which include mold and fungus and um, bacteria and viruses and grazing animals. And so they developed chemical defenses to that. And one of those chemical defenses is a family of chemicals called uh, alkaloids, which uh, some of these uses have dated back to Mesopotamia 2,000 years ago, 
I mean, 2000 BC. So that's for 4,000 years, people have used alkaloid, naturally plant derived medicines. And that includes nicotine, caffeine, strychnine, cocaine, morphine, all of the psychedelic drugs, DMT, and it also includes quinine. Now, interestingly ah. enough, um, LSD is one of those uh, subjects, and that's why I started studying alkaloids uh, back in the 60s was because there were rumors that the CIA was using, was promoting the uh, LSD, and sure enough, there was a guy named Gottlieb that was called called the uh, doctor of death at the CIA that used it on, uh, experimented on everybody with it, and that's really a, another unknown scandal. But it was, uh, LSD was first isolated by Albert Hoffman in 1838 at Sandoz, and it was derived from uh, rye ergot mold. And it had been used by um, midwives in Europe for centuries uh, to relieve um, pain, uh, childbirth pains. And so they would give them a little bit of this stuff. And so sure enough, everybody in Europe was born when mom was on a trip for about <laughs> the last... It's since. The, the earliest documented case of it was 1857, but it probably predated that. So that had been folklore medicine. And then in 1951, the CIA clandestinely poisoned the town of Pont-Saint-Esprit in France, and they had what was called the Day of St. Anthony's Fire. And that was a book that was written about that incident in 1969 with declassified CIA documents. So... We have people that are more than willing to take medicine and use it against us. Now, quinine was used by Native Americans for thousands of years before Columbus got here. Uh, the Spanish um, explorers took it back to Europe in 1638. It's been used in Europe since then. Uh, chloroquine is just a stabilized form of it, and hydrochloroquine is another stabilized form of it. Uh, Chloroquine was developed by Bayer in 18, I mean in 1935, and then hydrochloroquine was developed in 1945. And they have been on the physician's list of um, essential medicines for over 65 years. They are a preventative and a cure. And in August, of, August 22, 2005, the journal Virology, which was funded by the NIH, said uh, chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of the SARS corona infection and spread. So not only does it uh, work as a prophylactic preventative, it also is a very good cure. And this was an article that they published then. Well, then when Trump says that he's going to be using hydrochloroquine to keep from getting sick, they rushed out and they had a um, study that they funded at the University of Virginia, National Health Institute, it's published at MedRxIV, and it says outcomes of hydrochloroquine usage among United States veteran hospitalized with uh, COVID-19. They split 368 patients into three groups, gave all of the substandard care. They were able to kill 27%, 27.8% in one group, 22% another, and 11% in another. So that's the extent that these people will go to. They will kill veterans with overdoses or underdoses in order to prove that something is not an effective medicine. 
Uh, I, we'll come back to hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine maybe in the second hour, but I want to, we're, we're up okay. against another break here at the top of the hour, yeah. and uh, yeah. we will uh, open up the phone lines in the second hour. Joseph Olson okay. will stay with us, and uh, we'll continue to uh, delve into magnetobiology and um, the possible link between 5G uh, oxygen, low oxygen intake and uh, viruses, including COVID-19. And uh, the thing that, that jumps out at me is if we are and we all are, you know, existing in this electronic smog, not only because of uh, you know 3G and 4G and soon to be 5G. I mean, everything uh, is, uh, is uh, you know, radio waves, uh, baby monitors, dirty electricity from appliances and electrical lines and so forth. Um, one should expect that we're all suffering from low oxygen. And I'll, I'll put that question to Joseph Olson on the other side. Are we all suffering from maybe uh, varying degrees of hypoxia? And is this making us more susceptible uh, to, uh, to, to various viruses and other illnesses? Uh, back with more of our conversation and your phone calls when The Conspiracy Show continues. Mm-hmm. 